no snubs, and Utah doesn't have any. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are all-stars. We'll have you covered right here on utahjazz.com. This is Round Ball Roundup. I'm J.P. Chunga. We'll be speaking to Spiro Didis of TNT. The national perspective comes in on this Utah Jazz team, plus a roundup of the games that have happened for the Utah Jazz. As it stands, nine first-time All-Stars in the midseason showcase, six of which were named to the reserves yesterday. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell among them. And here's the deal. It's so gratifying not to be here talking about the snubs because two guys who certainly deserve it, Rudy Gobert, you need 14 and 14 a night, he can give it to you. Add that two blocks a game and stifling defense when it comes to deterring guys from attacking the rim. That's not something that can show up into a stat sheet, but that's huge. That's impact on game. That's Kenny Atkinson recognizing his impact. Rick Carlisle being among the coaches who were vocal about how he played. And then add on to that, he shoots 69% from the field, getting dunks, taking high percentage shots at the rim, 100% deserving of an all-star. He's the type of player who has already gotten Oscars, and he just hasn't got that elusive Golden Globe. This is cool for acclaim. And this is awesome for the guys being able to experience that all-star lifestyle, but it's all NBA that you hang in your house. And Rudy's already gotten that. He's already gotten Defensive Player of the Year. Donovan still has to gun for that all-NBA spot. That's the next step. Rudy's been deserving of an all-star appearance. And this is a guy that started out in the Bakersfield Jam. I remember watching him in his rookie year battling against Jeremy Grant for position down low. Jeremy Grant, who oddly enough, plays for the Nuggets last night. He was pushing around Rudy in those early days. And now Gobert has sculpted his body, sculpted his entire game to being what it is, which is all-star caliber. Listen to him reflect on those times at Bakersfield. It came a long way, man. It came a long way. Uh, it was, you know, my rookie year, I wasn't playing at all. But uh, I knew that, you know, if I kept working hard every day, I, I would be, be able to become, you know, a, a good player, a very good player in this league, and I don't feel like I'm a scratch, you know, the surface of who I can be as a player. But you know, it's great to be able to get rewarded, you know, a few times. It's quite a way to that red carpet that he'll be walking on when it comes to Chicago. Donovan equally is deserving, and this is cool for him as a young player to be recognized in the way that he is, as being on a winning team doing winning plays, playing winning basketball, 24 points, four rebounds, four assists, shooting a career-high effective field goal percentage at 51%, career-high just in total field goals at 45, career-best on two-point shots at 50%, and he's inching closer to matching his career-high when it comes to three-point percentage at 36.1%. Donovan, in year three, has used the motivation of failure in Houston to get him to where he is right now. 4-23, you know, walked off the court, cried in the locker room, you know, said to myself, I'm going to do whatever it takes, you know, to come back and just be better. You know, not so much just to be an awesome, but just be better, you know, as a whole. You know, I think I've done that. I think there's more for me to do. 
Um, but that one for me for sure really hits because that was a moment where it was really a low point, you know, after having, you know, a pretty good rookie year, you know, you come in and expecting kind of something similar and then you don't get it, you know, and um, I think that was for me, that was that was one of those moments for sure. The numbers have just gotten better and better for Donovan as it continues and he uses that motivation of that playoff series and how high him and Rudy take this team will be the thing to keep an eye on when it comes to March, April, May and June. How deep in the postseason can this team take it? It's going to be up to those two players. This also establishes them in the all-star conversation forever going forward. It's the reason why Russell Westbrook made it. Now, Russ turned it on over the last couple of months and weeks, being able to carry Houston while James Harden has gone through his slump. But once you get in the All-Star Club, you're starting to get into that conversation every single year as a result of your play. Now, they're going to be very deserving going forward. But once the All-Star Game's here in 2023, it's going to be a huge boon. Utah scoring two All-Stars, first time since Memo and Boozer, and now with the new wave of players. One, a defensive dynamo, and then the other being the offensive juggernaut that Donovan Mitchell is. Super cool for those two guys, and we'll have you covered on utahjazz.com during their entire All-Star experience. We will have team coverage live from the Windy City, from cold Chicago. Just check us out on utahjazz.com, on all the social pages, at Utah Jazz, at Utah Jazz on Instagram, and at Utah Jazz on Facebook. To the games, which don't carry as much positivity as the All-Star announcements, Three losses, first time that Utah has done that since early December when they went through a down stretch. Started the week off with a loss to the Houston Rockets, 126-117. to No Harden, no Russ, just Eric Gordon. He went off for half a hundred, 50 points on 14 of 22 shooting, six three-pointers for the guy. Even got help from ex-jazz man Tabo Cephalosha who went for nine off the bench. This was a tough one where they didn't have a player over 6'6 in many of lineups playing a bunch of hybrid groups out there. It affected the way that the Jazz prepared, I'm sure. It made things very janky when it comes to defending a team like that. Donovan Boyan combined for 66, showed very well. It really came down to something that Quinn Snyder has highlighted on when it comes to defending. Want to defend... By giving up mid-range shots, which featured in another game this week, funnel things to Rudy Gobert, and don't foul. Well, they did foul. Houston makes 49 trips to the free throw line, converting 35. If you're giving a team 49 trips to the charity stripe, it is a tough one to win. And it turned out to be that way for Utah. Eric Gordon, just looking at him, he went 20 times to the line. If Utah can play better defense and not fouling, it'll go a little bit better. Follow-up game against San Antonio didn't yield the results that Utah wanted, 127-120. to This was another weird result. The Spurs were amazing in the mid-range. This stat from Andy Larson, who found it on cleaning the glass, San Antonio made 30 of their 42 mid-range shots, which is the best shooting performance from any team in in the league this season. Banking on making 30 of 42 mid-range shots, the shots that Utah wants to give up in their defense, that's not going to happen again. Or at least it shouldn't happen again. It was a really tour-de-force performance by DeMar DeRozan. 38, 
going again to the free throw line 19 times, something that has been a bugaboo for this team, concerning to see how much that they're fouling. Rudy got into foul trouble, which clearly impacted the way that Utah was able to play. Overall, San Antonio went to the line 30 times. If it wasn't DeMar DeRozan, it was DeJounte Murray. He had another mid-range game that was equally as impressive as DeRozan. Seven of eight from two-point shots, and he powered them with 16 points. Wasn't a good defensive performance, by Utah, checking basketball reference, San Antonio, 127. That's the second worst defensive rating of the year. Then on the back-to-back, Utah went to Denver and fell 106-100 to in a game where Jordan Clarkson goes for 37, hits seven threes off the bench. Clarkson continues to prove that he's a bucket, kept Utah in one where the tide shifted in the second half. Nuggets used a 27 to 1 run to win the game and end it. Donovan had a tough night. Four points, one of 12 from the field, 0 of 6 from three, four turnovers. Just the second time this season that he's gone for single digits. With him scoreless in the first half in Utah by five, you had to think that things would go well in the second half. Second half, Don would come out. But Torrey Craig did a heck of a job, and he's the guy that Michael Malone shouted out. In the post game, as somebody that was crucial to their victory, the Denver head coach continued in calling it the best win of the season for Denver. Shows how much respect that Utah gets from around the league. And Donovan didn't score until the last quarter. If he's going to be stifled, then other guys need to pick up the mantle. And you made so many moves in the offseason to get Boyan Bogdanovich. He had 18. Rudy Gobert had 21 and 11. Joe Ingles had eight, and Royce O'Neal had two. Mike Conley wasn't available for this team. It's a back-to-back, so they're dealing with the injury management that comes along with what he's been dealing with through the last couple weeks. Keep in mind, this was always going to be a testing stretch. So many good teams in a row. Next week, you're going to come up and play the exact same teams that you played this week, Denver, Portland. And then before the All-Star break, you're going to have to play Miami, one of the best teams out east. You know what everybody's going to point to? It's going to be that record against teams above 500. Utah drops to 9-12, and 23-4 and against teams below 500. That record against teams above 500 doesn't really mean much when it comes to the postseason. Then it comes down to matchups. All the teams in the playoffs are worthy of their salt. So once you get there... Who's going to have the best matchups to win the game? Utah, mind you, during this stretch has beaten Dallas at home. They did it in an impressive manner. Against Denver, they lead for a lot of the game. That 27-1 run kills them. Record against teams above 500, it matters. But 9-12 is very competitive with the fifth seed, which is Dallas at 9-12. Sixth seed is 11-10. And and then once you go 7-8, through Everybody down, it's worse records than that 9-12. and 12. Above you, the Clippers are 13-9 and nine against teams above 500. Denver's 13-8. and eight. They very well could have lost that one. And the Lakers are 14-9. Margins are thin, and Utah needs to stay competitive over this next couple of weeks. Cut up on Saturday, Utah takes on the Trailblazers. In one that we've already seen this year, we saw it after Christmas, 121 to 115, Utah won that one. And it was a Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard duel. Donovan 35 and the victory. Dame with 34. 
Lillard's been crazy, though. He's a recent winner of the Western Conference Player of the Week, and it's been due to a stretch where he averaged 52 points per game. In his last six, he scored 30-plus. Against Houston on Wednesday, he records his first triple-double, 36, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. We'll see what Utah does against him Saturday night. It's going to have to be something huge. And with a team like Portland that's fighting to get into playoff conversation, they're three games out of the eight spot. Get ready for a fight. That team has won three of the last four. They got the Lakers tonight, so you can watch them on ESPN. Once again, if CJ and Dame get cooking, and then Carmelo, who's turned into their third option, they can be very competitive. So we'll see what that yields come Saturday. Before we hear from Spiro Didis, thank you so much for subscribing to the program. We'll be announcing the winner of the Donovan Mitchell autographed jersey contest on Monday. New subscribers, old subscribers, you know the drill. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. If you want to check the entire Round Ball Roundup podcast-ography, Check out the interviews that we do. Dustin Termini has been on the Rudy Gobert train for a long time. Modak Heel gives a good insight into what Joe Ingles is doing. Adam Silver joined the program in one of the very early portions of Round Ball Roundup. And please, enjoy the chat that we do today. Spiro Didis, he joined me before the call of Jazz Nuggets. And before we knew that Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell would be all-star participants... So this conversation is talking about the team generally, and Spiro's a prince of a play-by-play voice. Thank him on Twitter, at Spiro Didis. We start out, though, with his roots in this league. He served six seasons as the play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles Lakers, had the opportunity to call two championship victories for Kobe Bryant. I asked him, and we started off discussing what you learn in a time like that broadcasting a Legends games. This is a surreal week. You know, I've uh, been talking to friends, former colleagues who uh, were with me at the Lakers during those years, and everyone's just still in a, a state of disbelief, shock. You know, I think now as that shock starts to wear off, I think the reality sets in that he is uh, he's no longer around, and his, his beautiful daughter, Margon, and all those poor families whose lives have been shattered, so, you know, they, they've been on a, all of our minds, obviously, nonstop since Sunday. When I was there, I mean, he was he was the center of the universe in every possible way. You know, when you're you're the voice of a team and you have a transcendent star of his caliber, he challenges you as a broadcaster every single night. You know, there were nights, I mean, every night, basically, we walk into the, re- the arena not knowing what he was capable of. And for me, it happened very quickly. You know, two months into my first year was the 81-point game. Uh, against the Toronto Raptors in January of 06. Uh, Not long after that, the 62-point game in three quarters against Dallas, which um, I think because of the 81 has kind of been overshadowed over the years, but in some ways was equally as impressive. It was uh, it was incredible, you know, to watch him every night. It was it was fascinating to see him, JP, evolve um, as a player. You know, to go from this kind of you know, ball-dominant guy who wants to shoot it 40 times a game to keep his team afloat to becoming really the consummate teammate and getting the Lakers back to a championship level as the supporting cast around him started to get better. But, um, you know, more than anything else, I just can't stop thinking about 
how content and how happy he looked in his post-playing life, you know, settling in as a father, finally be, being able to spend time with his, his children and his family who had always been on the back burner while he was an NBA superstar. And uh, that's kind of what makes this so tragic. It's hard to understand, but he, he was Los Angeles. He was the West Coast for basketball. How do you describe the connection that he had with the city uh, beyond just being an athlete? I think to fully understand what he meant to that city and that fan base, I think you really just have to step back and consider the fact that when Kobe arrived in L.A., he was 17 years old. You know, he was a, he was a child. He was a kid. You know, certainly a basketball prodigy with, with limitless potential. But the city and that fan base really watched him grow up, literally watched him grow up. Um, you know, they were with him every step of the way for, you know, the early struggles, you know, the air balls that – uh, happened against Utah, of course, in his first postseason experience. Um, you know, the missteps in Colorado, uh, his personal life teetering on the brink of collapse, you know, of course, by his own doing. You know, they they were with him through all those things, through thick and thin. And, and it was like seeing a family member um, perish, you know, in some ways, because, you know, in our own families, we have loved ones who are who go through things in their personal life and you're with them, you support them, you know, even though you know they may be at fault and they've made mistakes in life like Kobe did, like we all do. And so there was such a love affair with him. He felt like he was one of their own and uh I mean it's this has affected people on such a deep level, people that never met him, they never spoke to him, but they were invested emotionally in in Kobe Bryant, the player, the person, and uh it's just it's just so heartbreaking. What memories will you cherish as somebody who was able to work with him day to day? Well, I'm in Denver, obviously, to call this game for TNT tonight. And my very first interaction with him actually happened here in Denver. My my very first game as a Laker radio play-by-play guy. It was uh, November of 2005. And uh, it was a game that came right down to the end. And, of course, Kobe hits the game-winning shot with about 20 seconds left from the top of the circle. And, um, you know, I was so nervous. It was my first game. I literally remember sweating through my suit that night. And, um, you know, it was a euphoric kind of post-game situation. We, we leave the arena. We go to the airport. And, you know, just as we all kind of settle into our seats, we take off. And finally, you know, as the adrenaline rush kind of subsides, I started to fall asleep on the back of the plane where we were all sitting, um, kind of the announce team. And just as I was falling asleep, I feel someone tap me on the shoulder. I turn around and I look up and it's actually Kobe standing above me in the aisle. And I'm, you know, kind of stunned that he's there. Um, At that point, I didn't even know that he knew who I was. But he taps me on the shoulder and he says, so how'd your first game go? And before I could even answer, he kind of chuckled, you know, knowing that I was kind of overwhelmed and he just walked away, and that was kind of the first of many interactions that we had during my six years there that uh, that I'll always cherish. And he just was super intelligent. He, he was always willing to sit with you and talk hoops on the plane, talk about life, and um, and I'll remember all those memories. A legend of the game, Kobe Bryant, gone at the age of 41. As we transition to what the action is. Right now, it's going to be Jazz and Nuggets on TNT. From a national perspective, I want to hear from you. What has been the read on this Jazz team? Well, you know, we we actually had Utah on Monday for NBA TV with Greg Anthony and Kevin McHale, so we we talked about them at length. And I think we're all of the same mind. I think Utah is a very, very good team. I think that they made the improvements that they thought that they needed to make after what happened in the playoffs last year. You know, I, I think Bogdanovich is super talented 
Uh, Mike Conley Jr., obviously his track record speaks for itself. You know, we know Conley is struggling, you know, missed a, a number of games with the hamstring injury, so I think it'll take time for him. But to me, it, it's going to come down to a very simple thing. You know, are their best players good enough to beat the best teams in the West? And that, you know, that the jury obviously is going to be out on that until we see it happen. Uh, we know how special Rudy Gobert is. We know the kind of prospect and the player that Donovan Mitchell is, I think the world of both of those guys. But, you know, as you know, JP, in the NBA playoffs, it's one thing to be a good team in the regular season, but come playoff time when, you know, the money's on the table and, you know, every team has an equal amount of time to rest and to game plan for you, that's when the best players really have to shine. And and that's what it's going to come down to for Utah. You know, is Mitchell, is Gobert, are these guys good enough to really take them to where they want to go in the playoffs? With those two games, is there a note that stood out in the prep for the Jazz that stood out? Well, you know, Conley's struggles um, are, are certainly a concern. You know, a guy who is not a young guy, he's been in this league a long time, you, you would think that the adaptation process would not be as great. But, you know, Greg Anthony told a great story on Monday, talked about when he played with Derek Harper with the Knicks, Harper was traded kind of towards the tail end of his career, really a, a kind of a really terrific player you know people of this generation probably won't remember Derek Harper but a very very good player traded from Dallas to the Knicks and once he was traded his first couple of months were were just he was awful you know and people were just kind of stunned at how much he was struggling and he kind of equated that same thing now to Conley you know it takes time for these guys their families are uprooted their personal lives are kind of turned upside down so I think you know if assuming Conley can get back to the player he's been I think that's going to be a huge thing for Utah um, the other change that they made, obviously moving Ingles to the starting lineup, clearly has worked. Uh, again, I, to me, it's just going to come down to their best players. You know, once once the end of the season um, draws near and we get into the playoffs. One of those best players, Rudy Gobert. What's been his standing compared to other bigs that you've seen during the entire year? Well, he's second to none. I mean, we his track record as a defender speaks for itself. Two time. You know, player of the year at that end of the floor. He's he's led the league in blocks. To me, it's with Gobert. It always comes down to offensively. What he what is his ceiling? You know, can he continue to improve and become, you know, maybe not as dominant offensively, but close to that. Um, there there are nights where he looks like he could be that player. You know, just just a couple of days ago, he had that huge game against Dallas and the win. You know, to me, that's the next step with Gobert. Can he become a consistent, legitimate threat offensively? For the most part, he can. But, you know, I, I think he still has a, a couple of, of notches to go up at that end of the floor. And, um, you know, if you're looking for ways and kind of areas that this Jazz team can go from really good to legitimate championship contender, I think that has to be at the top of the list. What's impressed you about Donovan Mitchell? He arrives on the scene as a streaking star leading the team to the playoffs. Second year continues to do that. What have you seen out of him in year three? I just love his temperament. You know, he's got a lot of Kobe in him, to be honest with you. He's got that fearlessness that you love, you know, the talent, the athleticism. He's such a specimen. And, you know, for a guy who, who lacks height, he makes up for it in so many other areas of the game. His intangibles are through the roof. Um, you know, it was interesting to see him struggle in that first-round series last year in the playoffs against Houston, and I kind of wondered what what he would be like coming back from that. I think this is a big year for Mitchell. You know, everyone assumes that that ascension for these players is, is a given year to year, but it's not. You know, you have to continue working and continue to hone your craft, you know, going back to what Kobe was as a player and so many of the stars that we've seen 
over the years in this sport, and I think he's proven this year so far, you know, he could very well be named an all-star later tonight, that he is willing to put the work in, and, and we're seeing that. But, you know, he's going to learn here, and I'm sure he's learned already, that, you know, the, the higher his ceiling, the better he plays, the more the expectations will be on him. And um, these next couple of months are going to be very telling to determine just how good he's going to be this year and just how far this Utah team can go. What's the level of respect for a coach like Quinn Snyder? I'm sure a guy like Kevin McHale, who is a former coach, Greg Anthony, guys that you've worked with, really admire the things that he's trying to establish on this Jazz team. Love Quinn. You know, they love Quinn. We, we talked about him at length on Monday. Um, his preparation, uh, his X's and O's, I think you can put up there with any coach in the league. Um, I just like his temperament as a coach. You know, I think especially in the NBA, maybe different than college and other levels of the sport, you know, it's such a fine line uh, as a head coach in terms of, you know, being a hard line guy and also pushing the right buttons, you know, putting your hand around a guy and, and really building the trust. And I think, you know, when you watch Quinn interact with his players, it's clear that these guys trust him. You know, he, he he's, he's honest with his guys, um, which is a hard lesson that I think a lot of these head coaches, you know, learn very quickly. You, you have to be honest with these players at this level. You know, if you lie, if that trust is broken, I don't think you could ever get it back. And I think Quinn understands that as well as anyone else. And um, uh, we, we've enjoyed spending time with him the last couple of years. We'll sit with him tonight for a couple of minutes. But I love everything about him. What stood out in your interactions with him? When we get to talk to him, it's just him being a basketball savant, willing to talk basketball philosophy throughout an entire discussion. I, I just love it because I learn things yeah. from him. You know, he, his his basketball mind is so clear when you sit with him for five minutes. Um, he thinks the game through. He's ten steps ahead of, of where you are, you know, in terms of what you're seeing on the floor on a given play. Um, he's willing to answer questions. You know, you can kind of take him anywhere in a conversation. He'll be candid with you and honest, which, you know, we've we've – spent time with all of these coaches around the league that's not always the case so it's something that i've appreciated with quinn he's, he's a guy who's comfortable in his own skin and and he can coach his tail off i mean that that is that is obvious when you watch him coach these games and interact with his players and uh and i'm looking forward to sitting with him tonight what jumps out in this matchup between denver and utah well, the, the the big man matchup for sure. You know, Jokic and Gobert is going to be terrific. Jokic is uh, is such a unique talent. Uh, a guy at his size, his body type, to see him evolve from a, a kid who was picked in the second round, you know, to last year being in the MVP conversation is is just incredible. You know, it's 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 just fascinating how some of these guys slip through the cracks and and fall so far in the draft and then become these superstar players. Um, and I'm, you know, at heart, I, I just I love the international guys, you know, going back to my, gra- my my family background. So to see a guy like Jokic have that success and, and of course, Rudy um, have the success, I just think it's awesome. I love what the league did pushing the uh, the start time to uh, Utah's game the other day so that the game could be seen in, in Europe and uh, his native country in France, uh, which is really awesome. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing these, those two guys battle tonight, two potential all-stars. How different is it to see bigs actually being the centers of a couple of teams when you look at the entire league and how it's getting smaller? Yeah, you know, we were just saying the same thing. You know, the league is so cyclical. Um, I kind of miss having those classic post players. You know, I grew up in the the late 80s and 90s with, you know, the the Ewings and the Olajuwans and these guys who were back-to-the-basket classic postmen. I think 
lost in this, and, and you know the the frenetic pace has been fun, and the three point proliferation has been fun. But I just think that the beauty of the game is when there's balance. You know, when there's an inside element to kind of complement what we've seen with these guys. But it seems like every year the shooting ranges get further and further back, and so you know it's just it's just math, you know, three pointers are more valuable than two. And that's kind of where the game has gone. But, you know, you're right. It's, it's kind of now, I don't want to say coming back to the post player, but there's now, there's a handful of guys like Gobert and Jokic and you can go around the league. There's a number of other guys as well. And, uh, and I hope it continues because I do think it's something that's, that's been missing from the game. It's a matchup that I'm sure basketball fans will be really enjoying over the coming years as Gobert and Jokic battle between themselves before I let you go since you already brought it up your admiration for the foreign player and your Greek roots tell me how to pronounce the last name of the Greek freak out in Milwaukee it is Yanis it's not Giannis Yanis like with a Y sound first of all for his first name and it's Adetokumbo 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 yes very good it's actually pretty good I have to say, I'm very, I'm very impressed with my broadcast brethren. They've come a long way the last couple of years, and <laughs> I just, I have to say, when they were calling him Greek Freak, like year four, I just cringed. I mean, it's, it's about time we learned how to pronounce his name. It's impressive that he's gotten the country to pronounce his name. That's how good he's gotten. Yeah, he's so good, we had no choice. We had to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> he's a play-by-play voice for Turner. It's Spiro Didis with us on utahjazz.com. Spiro, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, JP. I appreciate it.